Welcome back to Church Online for a bit. Um, sure didn't want to have to do this, but things have developed in a way that we felt like this was probably the wisest course of action for a few weeks. So we're going to regroup for three Sundays, and then we're going to meet in parks for four Sundays after that, I believe it is. So uh, we've got an e a video coming out uh, this weekend to kind of explain all that. So uh, anyway, thanks for your patience. Uh, unprecedented times. Realize that uh, some people will be happy with our decision and some will not. And uh, it's okay. You're free to be happy or unhappy either way. <laughs> and I'm not trying to mock this, the you. It's just the situation's a bit frustrating for everybody. And so... You know, let's just go ahead and dive into today's message. We're online together. I, th I appreciate you guys who have been out there and um, who've stayed with our online videos and our live streams. I appreciate you guys who've come to church too. And I pray that God protects all of you. And I, I thank God that we have a healer who is our main recourse and who we rely on. So we're still in our Rise and Shine series. Uh, and... I'm going to jump into the day where I'm talking about leading. But before we get into the message, let's take a minute and let's rest in the moment. Here we are together. Even if it's virtual and we're not in the same room together, we had been divided by the situation anyway. There were Some of us were in church and some of us were online, so now we're all together online. Whether it's at the actual live time at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning or you are coming in a little bit later. Um, so let's take a minute with our brothers and sisters. Let's acknowledge that there's chaos going on out there, but we are still coming together and we are united not in what's happening in the world, not in our agreements or disagreements. We are united only in Christ and what Christ has done for us and in our hope that Christ will return for us. And put a pin in that idea because we're going to come back to that idea at the very end of this message. So we have hope. We're together. There's a war going on around us. The war isn't about politics. It's not about a virus. It's not about budgets. It's not about parties. It's a war of sin and a war of righteousness. A sin and holiness, light and darkness. So I'm reminded of a, of a hymn, an old hymn, um, Faith is the Victory. Let me see if I can sing it. Hopefully it won't sound too bad streamed like this. It goes, Faith is the victory we know That overcomes the world Faith is the victory Faith is the victory Oh, glorious victory That overcomes the world Now, that's not all of it, but I couldn't remember the main line's melody. You ever had that happen to you? Anyway, something to laugh about today. As we get into today's idea of, of leading people, as we're back in Ephesians chapter 5, but leading people out of darkness into light, I want to remind you of something. Something that has been, I don't know, it's been powerful for me. It's helped me a lot. And that is this, that God's people have been in captivity before. Have you ever thought about that? Some of the coolest books, some of the coolest narrative stories in the oldest in the Old Testament, or the Oldest Testament, I guess that's what I was about to say, contain stories of people who lived in captivity 
to Babylon, an evil and a wicked nation. Your book of Daniel, Esther, Nehemiah are three of those, and there are others that were recorded and written and record stories that happened in those times. Now, you know, I know the Sunday school versions of the story. You know the Sunday school versions of the story. But I don't know that we understand how gritty those stories really were. You know, for example, Daniel. We have no record of Daniel having a family, having any children. And based on what we know of Babylonian captivity in history, it is likely that Daniel and his friends were made eunuchs when they were captured and brought into Babylon. And so that is a, a gruesome idea. Esther. Uh, Esther is a beautiful story. It's been made into a beautiful film. But Esther was part of a large harem, a king's harem. And those are the, the parts of the story that are gritty and they're awful and we don't talk about them much. But we need to remember that the Bible is not couched in some kind of Sunday school safety. It, in fact, the stories of it, even though we tell them to children and we share them with children and they're important for children to know, they're not completely children's stories. They're brutal. They're honest. And they're real. And, and why do I tell you this? <laughs> to, uh, to make you dislike the Bible? Of course not. I love the Bible because it's honest and it's real and it's raw. Just like life. And it being that way is powerful for me because I live in a world filled with fake news. Isn't that the, the thing that everyone's used? Fake news like, if God really loved you, you'd never have any trouble. <laughs> if God actually cared about us, if God were real... He would solve all our problems. He would make it easy. Those are the kinds of lies that are out there. For people who think that if, the, if, the, if life is rough, if life is hard, it must be God's fault. Or there must not be a God who would, anyone had the power, could fix it and would fix it if they were good. That's what most people think. But they don't realize that God gave man a choice. God gave man his, his own room, so to speak, in the universe. And man made this room how he wants it. And in doing so, he, he sinned against God and rebelled. And the Bible says in Romans 8.20, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Do you remember Murphy's Law? If anything can go wrong, it will. That is the curse. That is a symptom of the curse. Now, the family I grew up in, we were kind of pessimistic, you know. And so from my mom's side of the family, we thought, we had a corollary to Murphy's Law. If anything can go, go wrong, it will. Our corollary was Murphy was an optimist. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's funny. Maybe you don't think it's funny. I don't know. But either way, the curse is out there and it's going on. We live in a world that is under the curse, how we often state it as Murphy's Law. But Jesus died for that curse. This isn't the world. This is the world you live in isn't God's final answer for mankind. Creation was God's final answer because at the end of creation God said it's all good. And that's what God wanted for us. But then we made our decisions and then God who had no obligation whatsoever to do anything about it still came and sent Jesus Christ to deal with the curse. He was crucified, and in being crucified, he was cursed. And in being cursed, the only, create, the, the only being that, that never deserved to be cursed, he broke the curse. And so that, my friends, is where we need to adjust our thinking and think about some things. So the nation of Israel, back to them. Michael, you're wondering. Yeah, I know it's, it's hard when I don't have a, 
a crowd around to, to guide me. <laughs> but in, back to Babylon, the nation of Israel went into captivity. The prophet Jeremiah sent him a letter, Proverb, I mean in Jeremiah 29 verse 5. This is what Jeremiah said. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food, fruit they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them, so they will have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. You see, even in horrific situations, God calls upon his people to stand up and to be God followers, to be honest, to be a blessing to the community in which they live. We need to read the Old Testament more. Even though there are parts of it that scare us and worry us about God, we need to read it more because only in the, the grit of it and in the rawness of it do we discover the stories and the realities that, that will help us manage in a world that's very gritty and very raw today. And so, one thing I think about this I thought I have about the nation of Israel is that by moving the nation of Israel from Jerusalem, from the, the land of Israel into Babylon, it's interesting to me that God, in a sense, took, the, took Judaism, the story of God, and injected it into the culture of Babylon. And that, that story and that truth would last throughout their history, which is why the three wise men showed up at Jesus' birth, because of the continued stories that were given to Babylon by Jerusalem by Israel. So, let's jump into Ephesians 5. What does this have to do with that? Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It's shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. For their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it's said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. The first thing that Paul tells us is do not get pulled into sin. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. You see, guys, we need to realize that there's shame in our lives and shame in the world because of sin. That's what sin does. Sin brings shame. It brings a weight of shame. And God has an answer. God has an answer. And God's answer is confess, run to God with it, confess it, and surrender it. That's God's answer. The world in which we live has a different answer. The world in which we live says that if there's sin, there should be darkness. Let's hide it in the darkness. Let's, let's inhabit the dark places. Let's not let anyone know. Sin loves the darkness. Another thing the world's answer for, for sin is companionship. Come on, join me in my sin. Let's go to these dark places together. I don't want to do that alone. And, and a third answer, I'm sure there are many, but a third answer I can think of is is instead of shining light, the world shines a fake light, or they 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 like to inhabit the gray. They they get this attitude. We we can get this attitude. What? What I love to do, that can't be sin. That can't be wrong. You can't call that sin. God made me this way. I'm proud of myself. Pride. A lot of times how that people who can't who won't go to God, who won't confess their sins and won't admit that their sins are wrong, one of the ways they deal with that is to have pride in them. To 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 rather than humble themselves, get proud. Just like Lucifer did before God. It was his pride that brought him low. That's the original sin. And so that's how a lot of times we want to deal with sin. Is rather than say it's wrong, we just say no. 
I'm proud of the way I am. I'm proud of the things that I love to do. I'm not going to say they're wrong. I'm going to say they're who I am. But this this is not how God... The shame... Those are days, ways the world deals with shame, but they are not healthy ways. The Bible says in Galatians 6.1, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Don't fall for it. <laughs> Don't fall for those temptations. Don't fall for the sin. Paul tells us, do not get sucked back into sin. Trust God. Trust God's word. Trust his spirit. Do not trust your culture. Don't trust any culture on the planet. All cultures are infected by and corrupt by sin and unrighteousness. And all those cultures, in their own ways, produce immorality, hate, prejudice, pride, and elitism. All kinds of things that come out of that unwillingness to say God's right and mankind is wrong. And Paul said that. Remember that in Romans? Let God be true and every man a liar. So let God be true in your life. It is the beginning. You know, sometimes it's hard to know what sin is, right? Here's an easy test. Who does it worship? Does it worship me? Does it worship the world? Does it worship an idol like money or sex or fame? Or does it worship God? Who does it bow a knee to? Because in truth, everything we do, everything we love, every desire we have bows a knee to something. And so don't fall for it. Instead, Paul's answer is shine the light. Their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. Paul's presenting here this idea that when the light is shined, it actually ignites those upon whom it's shining. Think about those names we mentioned earlier, Daniel, Esther, Nehemiah, and there, again, there are many others. Think about them for a second. What was so great about their faith? I mean, they are clearly heroes of God's word. But what was it that they did? I mean, they were not like John the Baptist out in the wilderness preaching and baptizing, proclaiming the, that people should repent and turn to God. That, that was none of those people. They weren't like Jesus going around healing people. They weren't like the apostles. I know I'm kind of bleeding into the New Testament there, but I'm just thinking, what was so great about Daniel and Esther in particular? Because when I read the scriptures, what I see is two people that live fairly ordinary lives, at least for the circuits in which they lived. Obviously, Daniel was high up in the kingdom, and so was Esther. They live fairly normal lives. We don't see them like loudly proclaiming their faith through their words or through preaching or any of those kind of things, what we tend to see is that they were fairly normal, working for the good of their nation, and then they would be persecuted. Daniel was thrown in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fire. Uh, Esther had to stand up to a king and risk her life to spare her people. Mordecai, her uncle, is the one who worked to get all the situation in place to begin with, and he all of these people's lives were endangered by, by what? By, by just living their ordinary lives and being, being God followers while doing it. And so persecution would come, their very way of living would come into question, and that was when they had their moment to preach, proclaim the good news. Preach, the word preach should not have the negative 
connections it does nowadays. The word preach should, when you hear it, you should think good news, great news. And that was their opportunity to preach. Whenever a problem arose, whenever there was a difficulty, God was actually presenting an opportunity for Daniel, Esther, Mordecai, Nehemiah to stand up and and basically stand for their faith, stand for their nation, stand for their heritage. They usually were given situations that were persecution that became opportunities that impacted the kingdom. What do, what do I, here's what I'd like to learn from this. <clears throat> what I'm struggling to learn from this. <clears throat> Excuse me. I, it would be nice to have national influence as Christians today. But I don't really see that borne out in Scripture very often. Often, the God followers are in the minority. Often, those who love God are on the fringes. And those people on the fringes, the Elijahs, of course, the Daniels and the Esthers, uh, the Samuels, on they go. Those people on the fringes, they are the ones who shine light into the darkness of whatever culture they, they are given, whatever one they're born into, whatever time period is theirs. They're such a time as this, as the book of Esther states. And in that moment, they get to be an influence. And that is what we, I believe that's our challenge in these days and ages. How can we be a local influence? I mean, it would be awesome if we had the influence we could impact the nation. But what if we could just impact our city, our county? What if we are presented with challenging situations and rather then let those situations get us down and negative. What if we stand up and shine? Shine, man, God, God is awesome. God loves me. God loves you. The gospel is amazing. No, I'm not going to cow down, bow to sin and things that are ruining families and destroying lives and wrecking people. No, I'm not going to bow to that. But I am going to tell you that there's, there is a way out of the shame. There's a way to escape the pain, and that way is Jesus. That way is confession. That way is surrendering to God. You know, I think we Christians sometimes make mistakes, and I think it's easy to do. I think what happens is we kind of start to copy the culture around us, and and it really sets us up for failure. Some things that I, as I was working through this message preparation, some things I, I think that set us back and keep us from shining, just real practical things. One is sometimes we're dishonest about our sin. We have sins in our lives. And I think the greatest testimony to the world is not to put a false image out there that we are, we're doing it right, but to put an honest image out there. We're sinners. We, fail, we, we have sinned. We commit sins. And we failed But we ask God for forgiveness and we ask you for forgiveness. I think that is a greater testimony than that smoke and mirrors image that I'm okay and I I, I got this figured out. Nobody believes that anyway. I think that's a mistake we made. I think one of the mistakes we made is along those lines of sins is that we as Christians have lousy marriages. We 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 don't handle our sexuality well. We're not totally honest about the struggles we have there. We have bad attitudes, and we're kind of selfish. Or maybe maybe we're a lot selfish. And these, these sins, these sins hinder us 
And they cause us, because of the shame that we haven't taken to God, haven't confessed, haven't let him put on Jesus and redeem us from, because of these sins, we lash out in anger and it's coming out of a place of fear and shame. Another one, a horrible one, is religious pride. Your problem's worse than my problem. Your sin's worse than my sin. Well, yeah, I may be greedy or I may have... I may be inconsiderate in my marriage. I may be selfish, but you're this other horrible thing. You're an alcoholic or you're homeless or, or, or whatever. You, you fill in the blank. And somehow thinking that someone else's sin is worse than ours. And another mistake we make is unrealistic expectations of people and impatience. I said this last Sunday that often we don't realize how far someone is coming to meet God nowadays. How, how much they have to work through, and we have these expectations that they should act like we act, and that their path to God should be like our path. And I think these are mistakes. And so I, I want to tell us, man, we, I want to encourage all of us to, instead of walking in these mistakes, which are darkness, to reject those mistakes and walk in the light and learn to shine the light. Learn to realize we live in this incredible mission field. And the most important thing in this mission field of Rock Springs and Green River and Sweetwater County and Wyoming, however you want to look at how big you want to go, the most important thing to realize is that the gospel's the answer here. The gospel. The story of Jesus, the Word of God, the story of God, and God's redemption and God's gift and God's forgiveness and God's grace. We can never get to the point, and, and this, this, we just can't get to a place where we think that our freedom is more important than our gospel. That can't happen, man. We need that mindset of the persecuted Christians in China, the Middle East, India, North Africa, that says the most important thing is the gospel of Jesus, and it's more important than my personal freedom. That is sacrificial living. That is sacrificial thinking. It might help us not be so angry about what's happening around us right now. I don't like it either. But I'm, I'm here to tell you, democracy is not the solution. <laughs> Even a republic is not the solution. Do you know that God's long-term plan is, is not a republic? <laughs> God's long-term plan is Jesus Christ comes, ends all governments, and rules with a rod of iron. All democracy ends when Jesus returns, and we as Christians, that's, that's the day we're looking forward to. Paul writes, this is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. This is why Jesus taught the kingdom. This is why you and I need to learn to live in the kingdom of light and, and to walk away from the culture of darkness. That pride, personal pride, is never the answer. Culture's answer is never the answer for especially shame and pride itself. Our mission is to lead. Our mission is to shine the light, to live life awake, and lead people out of the darkness and into light. It will not make us popular. We need to understand that we're going to disagree with the large segment of the public. But disagreement is not hate. We need to comprehend. We need to walk into things with sacrificial love and with lots of prayer. And, and, and I think all those things, as much as I think debate can be powerful in the right hands with gifted people, uh, prayer is more powerful than all of those things. We need to pray. We need to prepare our hearts for what's coming. I know this is, this may be sober and it's something you don't want to hear today and it's not one of those happy thoughts, but 
I, I believed, and this is Michael, I'm a bit of a pessimist. Like I said, Murphy was an optimist, you know. I think the day's coming that churches are going to be closed. Their properties are going to be forfeit. Pastors, ministers, church leaders are going to be put in jail. I think this is coming. And I think it's coming more quickly than we realize. And we need to prepare our hearts for, for suffering. We need a theology for persecution. A theology for suffering for Christ. We need to see it like Peter saw it. He, he saw it as an honor. Like Paul saw it. He saw it as a, a glorious gift. And that's how... We need to learn to see it. Because this isn't about living as happy and as comfortable as possible until we die. It's okay to work toward those things. It's okay to, to do what you can to live as, as happy and as peacefully as you can. But the truth is, that's not why we're here. We're on a rescue mission. We're on a bad camping trip. <laughs> we're on our way home. And our mission on this earth is to save every refugee possible, to help everyone escape the darkness that can that can't escape it. And, and to never forget that the cry of the first church was Maranatha, which was a call back to the fact that Jesus had come, the first advent of Christ, and it was a picture forward to the fact that Jesus is coming, the second advent, when Jesus comes again. And he comes, and every knee bows, and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not, not an earthly government, not an earthly ruler, but Jesus Christ comes back, ends all governments, and he rules the planet. That's what we're waiting for. We are on the, the team that wins, the team that sets everything right, the team that heals all that's broken, removes all the pain, wipes away all the tears, the team that resets it all. But between now and then, we have to change our expectations, and we have to live as light in a dark world, and we have to, to look forward to what's coming rather than expect a world that's broken and cursed to meet all of our needs. I don't know where you're at in your faith today. I want to conclude with this thought. Trust Jesus. Trust Jesus so much that you follow Jesus. And when you follow Jesus, make sure that from that point on that you are learning how to honor God with your life. Because this is the only chance we get to represent Jesus this lifetime on earth. And then when he comes and everyone knows, then, you know, now we're in on the secret. One day it's going to be public knowledge. And so while we're here following Jesus, and while we're here honoring God, let's help others out of the darkness and into the light, out of shame and into forgiveness and hope. That, that's light. That's the world we're part of. Thanks for tuning in today. Thanks for being online together. And I just pray for your, I pray that God blesses you. I pray for all of our patients in these trying times. I'm so thankful that we can do things online together. And I'll see you soon.